Arzik Frastica for Cameron. Although your fingers and my eyes agree, it is unheard of, Cameron, what you see. Describing scenes of color, form, and light, which you perceive by any means but sight. We cannot know the god's unheard of head, protested Rilke, when he should have said, unseen, because we hear of it from him, in carnal terms, becoming of a hymn to any of those bad old gods, the kind that loved man's form, but not his living mind, delighting in some tyrant's blinding wrath, then disappearing in the aftermath. Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with the Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 226. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's guest, Matthew Buckley-Smith, is here. Before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. Uh, we've been in continuous publication since 995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed. Ring the bell for notifications. And I think you can do to help spread poetry around the internet is much appreciated. And Happy New Year to all you out there on our New Year's Day show. Uh, the festivities are mostly over, so we thought it'd be fun to have a show anyway, despite the holiday. Uh, today's guest is Matthew Buckley-Smith. Uh, Matthew makes a podcast and writes stuff. <laughs> That's the bio on his website. And I can really relate actually, to just wanting to say something as simple like that. But if you say more, uh, his poems of stories appeared in Agni, American Life and Poetry, and elsewhere. His first book of poems, Dirge for an Imaginary World, was selected by Andrew Hudgens for the 2011 Able Muse Book Award. Uh, his second book of poems, Midlife, was selected by David Yetzi for the 2021 Richard Wilbur Award, and we published soon. So we have a sort of an advanced copy. I have a link to um, the pre-sale, which we'll put in the show notes. And uh, you can pick it up ahead of time, but that is Midlife. And so two great books out, a wonderful formal poet. And here he is, Matthew Buckley-Smith. Hey, Matthew, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I think there may be some tantrum is happening downstairs, but I'm, uh, I have a reprieve from it. So yeah, I'm doing okay right now. Well, that's great. And um, there's been um, interest in formal verse. I and mean, that's the thing that when I see a poem mm. of yours, um, I think, oh, great, this is going to be formal because there's, uh, <laughs> there's so, there's so uh, little of it around that's, that's done really well. Um, or even attempts at it these days. And, um, and you write so beautifully in the form. Is that something that you were always drawn toward was using meter and rhyme? No, I, I mean, I, I liked formal, I mean, what we call formal poetry today for, for a very long time, was just poetry. So I, you know, I like plenty of that stuff and I always have, I, and I wrote in, you know, doggerel, that is to say meterless rhyme for a long time as a kid. And then I got sophisticated and I learned that sophisticated poems aren't written in form. And so I wrote a lot of reverse and I wrote a lot of poetry that was had cool words in it but didn't make sense and didn't have complete sentences and and some of that you know I think I learned some things the school where I went to college and took a bunch of classes they were very much uh invested in poetry that was interested most of all in being unpredictable and so they they were they weren't language poets but they were descended from the language poets they were like the uh like the children of the titans or something you know and it wasn't really until meeting Ryan my junior year and kind of getting a little bit reoriented by him toward poems that <laughs> made sense. And then going to grad school, which was really just me following Ryan to, uh, to Baltimore, uh, that I had some great teachers, including uh, Mary Jo, uh, Greg Williamson, who's a terrific, underappreciated formal poet, uh, really taught me form more than, more than anybody uh, John Irwin, a, bu a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And I, I just kind of kicking and screaming was dragged into a uh, form and then just couldn't escape. Like, I think, I think like a lot of people who started writing in form later on, once I started, I, I couldn't, I occasionally tried to write in free verse and it is not good. <laughs> the results are embarrassing. Did you, uh, so did you have like formal training? Was it like classes in, um, in meter um is that something you did or was it more just reading and being introduced to different poets and and hearing it and then taking it through that channel oh both i mean a lot of both uh i did i did i should say like i had a really good teacher in high school who taught who like 
gave me the basics of meter that and that was really helpful and then i had a my my weird mentor figure uh who introduced me to a stallings work and i remember reading that and thinking like oh i've been wasting my time <laughs> like, <laughs> like why why don't my films sound this good uh and um and then yeah i mean it, it, it mostly i got a lot of instruction in graduate school that was very helpful and that i mean greg's class is like uh um taylor bias called studying under adam fines like going to formal boot camp and it that's very much what greg was like mm-hmm. uh so you yeah you have to learn it whether you want to want to or not yeah well um let, let's dive into the, your book uh that's forthcoming mm-hmm. um you know do you know what publication date is that uh is that known yet amazon says january 8th oh okay well that's really soon <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's start out with one of the. That's the introductory kind of poem, the year of from. uh, Yeah, sort of a sort of a New Year poem, kind of. Yeah, it is. Uh, The year of. It was not beautiful. It did not rhyme. A brick came loose. A text message came late. We lacked the understanding, then the time to put things straight. Results were lost. Releases went unsigned. Defective units had already sold. The smaller demographics fell behind. The trail went cold. A judge enforced the non-disclosure form. The damage wasn't covered by the plan. The girl got transferred to a different dorm The threats began. Some children were too young to understand. A biopsy was needed to confirm. The prototype, regrettably, was manned. Budgets were short-term. Though we were brave, though we were dutiful, not all of us were fitted for the climb. It was not fair. It was not beautiful. It did not rhyme. Yeah, and that's the uh, opening poem to um, Midlife. Uh, that's The Year Of by Matthew Buckley Smith. And uh, so this, uh, in the, the, the leaf flyer side, it says um, that these are the poems uh, they've written since your last book. <laughs> it's basically one of the things. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, sort of, a, I guess I'm learning a typical, um, you know, a sly manner the uh so <laughs> what the uh what was the theme how did the theme emerge from this book is it just the, did you have like these poems and then realize what you were writing about how did the book come together with um over time given that they're you know you characterize them that way as the, the poems that you've written since your last book <laughs> yeah the, i mean i'm i'm sort of being coy there but i'm really fairly fairly literal i it's uh, I think I say the best poems because there are a whole lot of other poems that are not in the book that, uh-huh. are, that are very bad. But yeah, this is what I, at least what I think are the best poems since my last book. I, I this is like, this is where like you can definitely explain yourself out of mystery or it, like you can, you, can, you can definitely, I might like show you the shark robot and ruin the effect, but I don't really believe in book projects or themes. I, I kind of think like, when I talk to poets who say I have two poetry manuscripts I'm sending around, I want to say like, maybe you just have one and you need to take the best half from each and, you know, send out the really good stuff. I, I just tend to think that I don't, I don't know. Poetry books last so briefly, like a poetry collection as a collection is ephemeral. I mean, how many poetry collections, even like from famous poets of the 20th century, do we really, really remember as collections? There's like, not a lot. There's a what? Aerial uh, uh, life, um, uh, uh, life studies, uh, wits and weddings, geography three, uh, 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 boys will or no north of Boston maybe. But like honestly, what we really remember are po- individual poems because mm-hmm. like a lot of those books, you know, those are you know, Larkinley was pretty choosy, but like as obviously as Bishop was as well. But like in many in many cases, it's just like a handful of poems that emerge, and like those are the keepers, and the rest of them sort of like, well, that was okay to read, and now I've forgotten about it. And that's what I, that's kind of how I think about my own books. I'm just trying to like, this is the best I've got from the last 
I think in the, in the jacket flap it says nine years, mm -hmm. and then the press that was supposed to publish it went under, and so it's actually twelve years now. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Well, oh, so wow. so what do you say? Do you think we publish too many books? Is that like a problem within poetry? Um, you know, if if you think they should be combined, do you think there are too many of them? I think I definitely argue with people about this and the person who yells at me the most about it is matt wall who's also a very entertaining uh, podcaster you should check out he, uh, i hate matt wall um he, he makes a living off of his poems he publishes a chapbook like once a month or so and a, i mean like multiple books a year and he pumps them out and he pedals them uh like like uh, uh comic books and that's how he pays his bills if you do that I don't think you're publishing too many books. Mm -hmm. Like if that's how you're paying you, like go for it. Do you know, like there's sci-fi writers who like pump out like Kindle books and they have to write a lot of them to keep their audience. I, if that's what you're doing, go for it. But there are a lot of, especially, especially academic poets who have a kind of a comfortable relationship with the press and they have an established relationship with, they, they have an established reputation and they have a kind of a, a circuit of schools where their friends teach and they know they can go read there and their friends will come read here. And they just know that like, Oh, I guess I've written about enough forms. And I guess like, okay, well, I'll go ahead and send this to the press. And it's been two and a half years since the last one. I think there are good poets who write, who like just crank poems out that are, you know, I think, uh, I think like, like Franz Wright was definitely spotty, but I would never have wanted him to slow down because I think he would have just died sooner if he had like, he was, you know, if he stopped writing, he would have died. You know, Shane McRae feels a little bit the same way, like writes insanely fast, but also like whatever is behind that, like whatever the wind is behind that sale, I don't want to fuck with it. But I think a lot of people, yeah, do publish too many books and very seldom do I think, you know, if you're publishing more than once every five years, I think look at your last two or three books and say, which of these are, which of these do I think are absolute killers? And if it's not every poem in the book, then you probably put like, if it's not at least most of the poems in the book, like have fewer books. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody is anxious for the next book. To, well, somebody will just, you know, dispute me on that. But like, I think very seldom do we say like, oh, I can't wait for this book of poems to come out. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a sentiment I've heard by almost nobody. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of true. I mean, books arrive in the mail for me and I, I say, oh, it's nice. They have a new book. And then you check it out. But uh, it, it is rare, and now that you mentioned it, that you're waiting on bated breath for a new one from somebody. Um, how much of – I wondered if we'd get into this, because the poems you sent, the newer poems, have a lot to do mm -hmm. with, with the publishing poetry industry and, you know, about poetry readings and things like that. <laughs> how much yeah. – and I don't think we're going we're gonna to focus mostly on the book for the rest of the show. But since we're on this topic, um, yeah, yeah. how much of it like, – like, what is your – what is the role of poetry in your life? You do this podcast um, and you mm. you'd have the, you know, the books, but you don't teach at a college. I'm right about that, right? Nope. I don't teach at a college. I, uh, I do teach mostly fiction at a little local, uh, like it's like a low, low, I shouldn't say low rent. It's, it's like Grub Street in, uh, the Chapel Hill, uh, Duke mm -hmm. Raleigh Triangle, whatever Durham Raleigh Triangle. Uh, it's a, but yeah. Uh, and then, and then I, I am maybe going to be teaching a class soon with, uh, Elijah Bloom off of Versecraft. So we're mm -hmm. figuring that out, but we may be teaching a poetry class that way, but I, yeah, I'm super ambivalent about mm -hmm. poetry classes. You know? Yeah. yeah. You I had mean, a real question. That I... and, well, it's rare for that. I'm just, I'm just thinking about how, you know, it's just so rare that somebody's not in that world. You know, you mentioned mm -hmm. that the sort of the publishing. But neither are you, right? You're not. You're no, I'm not. Not been, at all. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to be. I don't. I don't think. Um, it's part of what keeps rattle so like like gratifyingly weird. I think it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just it's like it's your it's like stuff you like, mm -hmm. right? That's what it should yeah, be. It's exactly. a college radio. No, yeah, exactly. With no um, you know goal toward awards. So so what is it? What I'm getting at though, I mean, this book midlife, which we haven't really gotten into yet, but um, but midlife is sort of about looking at your midlife, as the title would say. Mm -hmm. And, and thinking about, too, I mean, these are sort of mostly familiar poems and poems about relationships and things like that. But then the newer poems, interestingly, are about poetry's place sort of in midlife. And like, there's sort of a what am I doing with my life type vibe to those poems. And so so what are you doing?
doing with your life is I guess the question I want to ask. Like, do you, do you think that, um, dedicating your life to poetry as you have is something that you'd be thankful for? I was thinking about that reading the new poems, uh, because, you know, I was thinking, well, I feel sort of the same way. Like, have I, I'm spending my life on this. Is it worth it? But then I think, what else would I spend it on that would be better? And I come up with nothing. So like, if I was, uh, You know, like say I was, um, you know, I just watched a football game yesterday. So I was like a producer for a uh, the football games on CBS or something. A friend of mine yeah, does that. Yeah, yeah. I would feel like that was sort of empty. And the poetry is so rich. And so yeah. there's this little loop that I go into a lot, too, about what we're doing here and why, given the small audiences, given the few people who you know really appreciate it, given um, the struggles that you have to do anything, to write a poem. I, mean, I don't know how many poems it took to be your best poems but they're a struggle every time and then there's like so little reward too so so what is uh what do you think about your place the place of poetry in your life and and why you did it and and are you uh are you grateful that you did uh yeah i think like you my my the the motto that gets me to sleep at night is well you have to bet your life on something you know like you can you gotta like Maybe it's not like I'm going to make it in the NFL, but it's going to be like some I'm going to bother to spend all this time and energy and care somewhere on something on someone. And, you know, there are certainly worse possibilities. Yeah, I don't know. I'm totally uncertain. I am very grateful for the people I have met through poetry, chief among them, you know, my wife, whom I met in the MFA program. Uh, But I, I don't know. I don't think I would in a vacuum recommend it to people who were, who had other options. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, even, I mean, even Cameron, who's, who's very, very talented. He's also very young. Uh, you know, I think he's such a fiend for it. Like it's so much part of who he is. I, I can't imagine him leaving it behind entirely unless he went to be a gun runner like Rambo. But yeah, I don't think he's planning to go into academia. I don't think, I think it, um, I don't, I don't think it's a good, I mean, early in the podcast, I said, I said, I think it's a little bit like a drug addiction. Hmm. Like, I, I think we, the way we talk about, there's a, there's a weird sense that like, it's okay that you're doing all this for poetry because poetry has some intrinsic, not even value, but like it, it's sort of, it's, if we said the things we say about the time and the money and the effort and the care we spend on poetry, if we said them about heroin, we wouldn't have to change our statements very much, but people would look at us very differently. <laughs> but at this point, I'm a heroin addict. I'm not going to religious. No, it's not another path for me. Yeah, well, um, let's see. I'm trying to... Let me see. The poem... What did I think of? The public statement. Do, do you have that with you? Uh, public statement oh. from Blood Ray. That's one of the ones I was yeah, thinking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, Blood Ray. And there are a bunch nuts. of these that, uh, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> overheard it or reading is a good one, too. This is the, the channel you're going yeah. down next. It's very clear from what you said. There's some, yeah, I would say, like, between that and, like, staring into the abyss of depression, there's some, you know, it's, it's a six of one. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you want me to read public statement? Do you, yeah, what's, or, what's or your the other? I think both are a good example of what we're talking about here. Yeah. 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 I'll read, uh, um, let me pull up. I feel like overheard it or reading is going to make more people angry. So I'll go for that one. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, when I read this at Newburyport, which is, I think the only place I've read it. I my computer wrote this. I made a whole disclaimer at the beginning about how I was at a reading and I overheard someone uh, saying this. There's a there's a Carl Dennis poem where he says it called a colleague confesses, and it's all in the voice of this this other person. I um, will uh, imagine that this is preceded by a disclaimer. I'll just say that. Overheard at a reading. My computer will open it up. Yep. Enough high-handed free verse poems about some celebrate. Enough high-handed free verse poems about some celebrated tyrant's tragic wife. 
Enough feeling seen. Enough banishing doubt. Enough lending old grievances new life. Don't tell me writing is its own reward. Don't tell yourself there's wealth in all that knowledge. I'm too old for your prose poems and too bored to quake before the light you saw in college. Stop calling mediocre verse divine. Stop using parataxis as a crutch. Stop saving all your wit for the last line. Stop writing guzzles. Stop writing so much. Try teaching poems your students won't forget. Try reading schools you're not a member of. Quit politics. Pick up a cigarette. Delete your timeline. Fall in fucking love. Yeah, that was overheard at a reading, a newer poem by uh, Matthew Buckley Smith. And that's the sentiment that, that you have. That there's sort of a love-hate relationship going on, which I was very surprised to find. Um, so, so you, don't feel, you don't feel that? You don't feel a love-hate relationship with poetry? Oh, definitely. I think everybody does, but nobody talks yeah. about it, which is why it's interesting. <laughs> Again, the podcast is Sleericus. So tell us about the podcast, too, because what is Sleericus? Why is is that the the title? I was going to say, as I put on the T-shirt, I was like, oh, good. It's a good thing I chose a really uh, obvious and memorable word in a really clear, legible font. (laughs) Yeah, I started this a couple few years ago at the tail end of the pandemic uh, when I just was feeling very bad about poetry and uh and then had a a realization which was that i had been keeping my mouth shut about my feelings on poetry for the sake of not burning bridges so that i would be able to have a career (laughs) i was like well shit i'm not having a career in poetry what am i doing this for so i might as well enjoy myself on the way down uh and that's where it started sleerick gets the name comes from it's a, a corruption my now six-year-old daughter, when she was little, she couldn't say the word secrets. And so she, she like a lot of, you know, in a kind of classic little kid confusion, she mixed up the word secrets with the action of whispering. And so uh, when I would try to kind of soothe her to sleep while I was reading her story, if I started whispering, she would say, no sleep rickets, no sleep rickets. She wanted me to read loud. Uh, so that's that's where the word came from. So I figured I was uh, telling some tales out of school. I should give it that name. So so what is it that you it do? is the only thing on the internet with that name? So it there's definitely... it, that's the it passes the Google test, which my name has never passed. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. That's a good good idea. My name, of course, is ruined by the Disney movie. <laughs> so there's that problem too. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Timothy yeah. Green, right? Yep. The magical yep. child. And the, the irony is that I I switched to Timothy from just Tim because there was a football player who was famous and became a novelist. And so then all of a sudden oh, I wow. thought I was a novelist football player. I'm like, no, I'm just a poet. And so I said, oh, I'll go by Timothy. That sounds poetic. And then Disney stole the, my name for a movie. So well, all. you don't have it as bad as the, the designer who just got eliminated on project. Rony, who's first, he's a sweet guy. He's a, uh, of uh, Indian descent. His, his first name is COVID. Uh, so he's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, yeah. You, others have survived worse. Well, that, yeah, the Google ability is very important. So, so what do you do on Slee Ricketts? So what is the podcast like and, and why should people listen? My, so there are a lot of really good poetry podcasts. Uh, this being one of them, right? I mean, yours, you have your own slightly different, pro- like I kind of appreciate when a podcast has its own weird wrinkle to it, which is true of, of like most of the podcasts, the poetry podcasts, at least that I really like poetry says, verse craft. I hate Matt Wall. Uh, Ratbag Poetics is a newer one. Um, I, my wrinkle is that I guess it is a dumb show for smart people who like poetry. We don't always talk about poetry. We definitely get, uh, we spent an episode recently talking about Harry Harlow, who's a scientist who famously performed horrible experiments on monkeys. But we, I talk, most of the people I talk with on the show are uh, poets, Alice Allen, Cameron uh, Clark, and then Brian Platzer is a, a novelist. Uh, we talk about other things. But I uh, got into the habit of listening to a lot of dirtbag leftist politics podcasts and thinking that people get to have so much fun talking shit about politics and nobody does it with poetry. <laughs> people are so polite about poetry. And I like I appreciate when there's a podcast that's like straightforwardly educational or like let's get uh let's read poems and and like examine them technically like those are serving a clear function but a lot of podcasts feel a little bit like 
where it doesn't feel like the way poets talk when they're at the bar after the reading. It feels like the way poets talk at the podium during the reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, so this is, this is the at the bar off mic conversation, but it happens on mic. Mm -hmm. And so, so why do you think that is? I mean, it, is it to not burn bridges? It definitely is like very careful. I, we talked about a lot that I, it's hard to find people will even write interesting reviews of poems because yeah, everything yeah, yeah, yeah. reads like a high school book report where you're sort of praising something, maybe criticizing two, you know, for three praises for every one criticism and then yeah, doing yeah, a, yeah. you know, five paragraph introduction conclusion. I mean, that's just how the reviews feel. Yeah. And I could, yeah. it's so hard to find reviews that, that are interesting enough that anybody wants to read. But then the ones, um, you know, that don't sort of stand out so much as sort of smear pieces that they're like having too much fun with right. it. And there's sort of no yeah, in between. Yeah, yeah. Um, but why do you think we can't just have fun with it? Is it, is it does it all go back to academia? Does it all go back to like everybody's trying to find a career and doesn't want to burn bridges? And so we're so careful about everything that we can't have fun anymore because I, I kind of feel that. Yeah, I think that is some of it. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's certainly some of it. I do think that as the, you know, MFA pyramid scheme is starting to collapse, I, I think that it, like as it becomes clearer and clearer that like, no, you're not going to have a career. <laughs> uh, it, 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 maybe some of those pressures will will relent i also think there's something to the we do tend to treat like there is a there's a way people talk about poetry even outside of the academy where they they talk about like the need for the importance of promoting poetry the importance of getting people reading poetry and the importance of getting poetry out there and i kind of think like well to, like does anybody talk about the importance of getting movies out there of getting like pop music out there i, I don't i don't know i mean I, I think uh that if you are treating it like a like a lot like for poetry poetry has been divorced from except in very you know some well either insta poets who are I'm not into but i totally respect or like matt wall like weird sort of you know like uh weirdo punk rock poets I think poetry has mostly been divorced from any kind of audience, uh, immediate audience response. Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's different. It's one, one of the reasons I'm fascinated by rattle, like the, the podcast, the magazine, all of it, because you're just this guy who then publishes poets. You like poems you like for an audience of readers who are linked up with you and your magazine and your podcast, but there's not, there's not some greater, uh, some greater structure that you're inside of. You're not, I mean, I don't know if you, maybe you do get grants from the NEA, in which case, great. I hope, I hope they do give you grants, but I think like a lot of poetry has been, uh, lives in a kind of a, a, uh, a stagnant fake economy where there's this weird, uh, indirect relationship between people like applying for support or petitioning support from a committee or a panel or a body or a grant or foundation and then getting resources and then producing something that people maybe read, maybe pay for, but that doesn't really matter because that's not where the resources come from. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not a, like, I'm talking like I'm a capitalist. I'm not, you know, if anything, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a dumb socialist, but I, but I think, yeah, there's something too, just like the, the stagnant museum quality of uh, the poetic, um, I don't know if it's a marketplace or an economy. That's why I'm a dumb socialist. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the things I always think of is there's this concept in marketing where things can be sold as uh, as vitamins, medicine, or candy. You know, like like candy is something <laughs> that you want to eat. You know, it's, it's, it sort of sells itself, right? Because it's yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's full of sugar. Yeah. And then, you know, medicine is something that's going to relieve your suffering and your pain. But we tend to sell, that's what National Poetry Month does and why I find National Poetry Month really annoying. It's like, eat your vitamins, kids, eat your broccoli. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, God, poetry yeah. is wonderful for you. And I think that has to do with all the grant writing that goes on. You know, we have to sort of have this appearance that it's some kind of um, good for you vitamin that we're handing out. Right. And so people will give us grant money. Uh, and I think, yeah. I think that's a big problem um, that, that, I don't know, to make it to make poetry feel interesting too. I mean, we, the, the lack yeah. of the lack of sort of energy around reviews and discussion and and just having fun with it, um, right. just is really pervasive. And I think that's a big problem. Totally, totally. And that's yeah. I mean, and that's why it is like people were so blown away by Amanda Gorman's poem. I, like talk to most poets, 
they're not crazy about it. I'm not crazy about it. But like people who weren't expecting anything but a normal, boring political event heard this poem, saw this, you know, this charismatic figure, got this experience. They're like, oh, that was something. I'm so used to nothing. I'm so used to like Richard Blanco or God bless her, Maya Angelou droning on. Like this was something. And I think like that's, again, it's, it's the thing that happens in most poetry readings. People don't go expecting to enjoy themselves. They go expecting they 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 treat it like church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's God, interesting. In God that... bless all the churchgoers <laughs> out there, but like church is boring. Even yeah. Christian Wyman says it's boring. Well, I don't know. I, I like the idea of poetry church actually, and you know, as a as a with great sermons, you know, and songs you sing along to, and I don't know. There's a way that it can be like church in a good way, like the best kind of church. Do um, you know, do you know the young Gene Lee play church? No, I don't. No, it's really diabolical, and I think part of it is I think it's very flawed, but at least like the first half. And the bizarro ending is like brilliant. And it basically is like she created this experience for cynical, secular New Yorkers to go into this building and then like have this experience that was basically like this intense moral uh, and musical and communal uh, uh, galvan galvanization that like they, that I think is what church can be for people who really go into it and experience it intensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I, I don't know. I just I, the thing is, I think you and I both feel like we see a great poem, we love it. Like it turns on yeah. our whole, like our whole little neurons are firing all over. It's like a little yeah, fireworks yeah. in your head. And True. and how how to get more people to appreciate that is just something that we always struggle with and find. And and I wonder why why it's so difficult. And uh, and why so many, you know, like you say, so many books of poems aren't interesting. I mean, there's just so many problems that sort of are heaped on just because of the way it's gone in this. I was talking to uh, Dick Westheimer the other day about um, a friend of his who read poetry, uh, was translated. He's a, a Mexican poet who um, has poems translated into Polish. And he went and they had a whole auditorium that was like the poetry stadium for having poetry performed. He, you know, it wasn't like a music theater. It was like where you go yeah. to do poetry in, in Poland if you're you know and so there are thousands of people there and and how do we do that how do we make poetry interesting enough you know is it have to do because one of the things that I always hear from from regular people is like it doesn't rhyme there's no music like you know sure. and there's a music to free verse which I, yeah. I love hearing and stuff internal rhyme mm, but they do there is a craving for for more form and more more true rhyme uh, that you can hear yeah. more probably sounds good do you, sounds do you good. Think, that's why it's there. It sounds good. Do you, do you think that's one of the things that poetry is missing is, is more formalism? Uh, I, I mean, the, the problem is my, my dad is encouraging. Sometimes to be encouraging. <laughs> uh, uh, my wife would say, like, there's no harder job than encouraging Matthew. <laughs> my, my dad will say things like, oh, the world needs poets. I think my response is like, well, no, the world needs poems. And the problem is we've got a ton of those. Like we've got so many great, great poems from the last few thousand years. It's not like we have a pressing need for new ones. So yeah, I think people do really love and respond to, often it's like the elements in poetry that make it memorable. Mm -hmm. That is in many cases meter and rhyme. And so yeah, those sound really good and people like that. And there are plenty of people who want that and get it in pop music and rap in nursery rhymes, in existing poems. Uh, and I think they, they you know, are hungry for that, enjoy that. I, I enjoy that. But I also think there's plenty of free verse that can be funny and memorable and biting and touching and surprising I, I, or like tell a good story even. I think there's plenty of good free verse that's like basically translatable. That's sort of what people say, oh, it's, it's prose with line breaks. I don't really care. Is it good? Mm-hmm. Is it fun to listen to? Like, then translate it. Fine, whatever. Break it back into prose. It doesn't really matter to me as long as it has an effect. So I think the question is less like, how do we make uh, poetry interesting than how do we make interesting poetry? Mm-hmm. Like, do, do the good work. And then, you know, I think every poem ultimately survives, you know, it's either there's like, well, the, there's dumb luck and there's like the, you know, the, the various unpredictable powers that be that select something and pass it on. But mostly it's, I really, this poem kills me and somebody else I know has to read it. I'm going to show it to you. Mm -hmm. And then it either has an effect on you or it doesn't. And you pass it on or you don't. I think that's, that's really what makes poems stick. 
And I, I try to do that on my podcast. Really share poems I think are mm -hmm. really killer. And I don't know beyond that. I don't, I mean, I, I'm so skeptical of like larger poetry programs or institutions. I mean, I think part of what I love about the poetry stadium you were describing is like, it's not just like, Oh shit, they have this amazing audience. It's also like, well, when you go there, you better be interesting. <laughs> like when you're up on that stage, mm -hmm. you can't be mediocre. There's none of this, none of this mumbly bookstore shit. Like you need yeah. to perform. Well, that's what I always liked about the slam too. You know, with the audience, yeah. if you were, if you were terrible, you'd get booed off the stage. I mean, there's yes. no, you know, that's there's people start so heckling crucial. you out of know, you So know. crucial. But right. And if you, that's, if you are good and if you are interesting, which is really what it's all about, the whole audience gets behind you when there's so much energy from that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think that's exactly it. That's what we try to do with Rattle too. If you don't know, mm -hmm. uh, Alan Fox founded Rattle. He put up some of his own money and hired me to be the employee running it uh, for the last twenty years. I've been doing that, and all we do is pick poems we find interesting. Like we think people are really interesting. Yeah. They think they have interesting stories. You know, phrases and metaphors and ways of putting things that make you see the world a different way can be really interesting. And when we find interesting stuff, we share it, <laughs> and that's pretty much all yeah, there yeah, is yeah. to it. And when there's a poet, you know, who writes. Uh, something interesting like you have and other people we say hey go come on the podcast let me introduce them in this way and, and sure. we just go all around just trying to find things that are interesting and share them that's all we really do and with no other goals or affiliations and that's the only reason i'm willing to to do it <laughs> as, a, as a career <laughs> you know so yeah anyway I, that was such a big tangent i didn't mean to go on that but it, it's something no, no, we no, haven't no, really fine. talked about on a show in a long time yeah, it, yeah. it reminds me of the episode with eric campbell if anybody likes this go watch the one with eric campbell from like 34 okay. or something but, um, but anyway, I want to get back to your book, though, because we do need poems. We do need to share uh, what you're writing in, in this uh, midlife book. Sure. So, um, yeah. so let's do another poem. Uh, Lullaby Before Birth is the next one up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one I wrote when my wife was pregnant with our first uh, daughter. And I had a thought later on that it was only when I, I uh, A. Stallings has a wonderful poem called Ultrasound, which is about an ultrasound. But she had the funny experience of writing this thing that was just a, just a description of an experience. And it, it's a very, uh, evocative and memorable. Uh, I am the room. The future owns the darkness where it grows its bones. Uh, but then, uh, then later, I think she had the experience of having people come to her and treat it as a political statement, uh, as like a, basically, a, a, as a pro-life, uh, uh, pennant. Um, and I've had a little bit of that response to this, poem not to that extent because i'm <laughs> not installings but yeah this was it is a funny case of like i don't i really wasn't trying to make a point i just was trying to write about something that happened uh or something i i thought and felt um at the time is lullaby before birth for now you can be happy whatever you are called a thing no hands have held in darkness where you wait and nothing soon will stop you unfastening the gate come through and you will find us and cry until you can't and every day you count a gift will be alone and all the dark beyond us someday will be your own so stay a little longer where morning isn't yet, and nothing is too late, and all the rest will keep. We grow, but never younger, and have no time to sleep. Yeah, there's another great poem with a great last line, which is a thing uh, that using rhyme and meter uh, works. You can see how the, the rhyme makes a poem kind of click home at the end. And you have a bunch of last lines that are great like that. We grow but never younger and have no time to sleep. It's such a great closing for that poem. That was Lullaby Before Birth from uh, Midlife, which is coming up, uh, forthcoming soon from uh, Matthew Buckley Smith. But um, you, can, you can click the reader link and it looks fake because there's no image, but it is real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, we'll click that link and, and go find the poem. Yeah. But um, but so what is your writing process like? How do you come up with, how do you try to make a poem? You know, we talked about how, how poems should be interesting and that should be the main yeah. goal, however you're going to do it. 
how do you find ways to be interesting with words? Because it's, I mean, it's one of the hardest ways to be interesting is just having some squiggles of darkness on a white page. Mm. And then, uh, and somehow it's moving and makes people cry and think and remember it until they die. Um, how do you approach trying to do that? I, uh, in- increasingly, I write quickly and uh and cut i spend less time revising and more time throwing away if that makes sense like i i i uh elijah wanted me to do a poem for his podcast it was a group thing recently and i i wrote six poems because i needed to have five to throw away in order to have one that was okay uh so that that i you know i write a lot of poems i try to sort of um, the, I do these prompts with the with the ladies I write with. They're helpful because they're often something I would not think to write about, and they kind of force me to move in some directions I might not move rhetorically. Uh, I I will also a uh, uh, a project or practice I've been taking up for for a few years now is uh, choosing a form, choosing a metrical a metrical form and a rhyme scheme and a length and and writing 30 poems in that form as quickly as possible and then leaving them for several months and then going back and throwing away all but a handful mm-hmm. and then those I'll, I'll i'll work and work and work but it i guess it's sort of less um i i believe less in uh the in like the discovery through sculpting and more in discovery through archaeology. Mm-hmm. Like I, I try to find after the fact, if I said anything worthwhile, or I mean the, 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 the thing I, I, I thought reading Shakespeare's sonnets again, a few years ago was that a lot of the sonnets were saying, making the same argument as one another, but they were making it a little worse or a little more awkwardly, or they kind of like only got started a few lines in and then it was, they tried to close too quickly. Mm-hmm. And so then it was only every so often that it just like, the 14 lines landed with the 14 lines of thought and everything just hit just so. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe I will have some. (laughs) And so I try not to think too much about, I have very little insight into my own poetry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have very little insight into my own poetry. I just try to pick out the things afterward that I think might have something to yeah. Well, well, let's hear another poem. Let's do poem without metaphors. Sure. We'll, we'll move through poems yeah, a little yeah, more yeah. quickly. Yeah. Okay. Poem without metaphors. Which I somebody asked me about, and I thought, like, well, t- I think technically it's just from but whatever. Poem without metaphors. Some days there are no other words for pain. And for the worst, the literal is best. The rain against the glass is only rain. Your heart is just a muscle in your chest. The book ends in a bookish sort of way. The moonlight stands for nothing but the moon. Your children carry half your DNA and will inherit all your savings soon. Somewhere a car is racing through the night, no faster than a swiftly moving car. Abrasive deer glance up at something bright, gone still, exactly like the deer they are. And as for you, you could be anyone who's done, who's said the things you've said and done. And see what I was talking about, about those great last lines. Uh, another great one <laughs> with a rhyme, pulling through, poem without metaphors. Um, and that's just another great poem. And so you, the way that you write, you were saying, um, you're, you're just iterating and, and pushing out a lot of stuff. Do they come out in the form like this, the iambic pentameter with a rhyme scheme? Does the rhyme propel you forward in the poem? Or, or do you revise them into shape like this? Oh, no, I, I don't. I definitely don't have a thought ahead of time i i will so i'll start with a line but i definitely don't have a a plan or an argument i know i'm gonna make yeah i think the the the, the i mean stallings and plenty of other people have talked about this but the form writes the poem as much as i do mm-hmm. 
And so, so you mm-hmm. hear, I, I guess you, you would hear the first line. Some days there are no other words for pain. And that is what propels you forward. Like the rhythm of that. Is that how, how you yeah. kind of approach yeah. a poem? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I like, often like fish around until I find a first line that sounds plausible. But I, I, I uh, there's a thing called a divining rod, which I guess it's spelled like divining rod. Mm-hmm. You hold it like a Y-shaped stick. And, and it's sort of like the, there's a, a, a whole superstition about like who's, you know, it's sort of like a one man, like, like a Ouija board of one. Uh, and for me, that's writing poetry. Like I've spent a lot of time le- learning meter and drilling form. And, you know, it, like if you want to write a good sonnet, I was talking to Cameron about this the other night, like the way to write a good sonnet is first write a hundred sonnets <laughs> and then write a sonnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I have very little insight into, into what the hell I'm doing. Okay, well, let's do uh, let's do last call at the conference hotel. Yeah, this is about a, a mythical phenomenon where people go to conferences and, and temporarily fall in love with people they're not married to. <laughs> uh, yeah, last call at the conference hotel, and there's a little bit of the Odyssey at the end for those of you who know the Odyssey. Last call at the conference hotel. At two, they were still married. Two others asleep back home talk having seldom varied from her favorite epic poem they knew they knew enough to keep shy of a nightcap in his suite enough not to say goodbye or what year they might next meet she pulled away from his side just one of her sunbright hairs and laughed a last time or tried and carried herself upstairs When she went, he turned to look at his hands and raised no wave and found the place in his book he'd half forgotten to save. But a man roped to a mast by his his oarsman and his choice aches to return when he's past the final pitiless voice and sirens forget the sweet nothing as soon as it's sung. And all one cannot repeat alters the heart with the tongue. Yeah, so there's another poem from uh, Midlife, Last Call at the Conference Hotel uh, from Matthew Buckley Smith. Do you go, um, you know, speaking of being sort of um, you know, disenthused with the literary world, do you go <laughs> to conferences? What do you try to do to promote yourself and Slear Ricketts? Do you just oh, push stuff out and let it be? Or do you, uh... I don't know anymore. I don't know. I'm not I'm worried, thought like, well, I'll wear this T-shirt. That'll help. I have no idea. I'm not on social media. I was was a little bit for a little while, and it was horrible, and I don't have any appetite for it. I I go to the uh, ALCW conference every year because uh, my friend Ryan tells me to go, and I, I'm affiliated with their, their poetry magazine. What's ALCW? Uh, I don't even know. ALCW, the Association of Literary Scholars, uh, Writers, and Critics. Mm-hmm. ALCW, no, Critics and Writers. I thought it was librarians, and I was I was uh, humiliated. <laughs> so yeah, that's no, actually, I thought, I thought the exact same thing. And <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Stallings de- described it as uh, the MLA for people who like to read books. Well, that sounds better uh, than the yeah. MLA. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting conference. Uh, so I, I go to that one. I have gone to Swanee and Westchester in the past. I know Westchester sort of had a like a, um, the, the what's what's the dark crystal where the, the ancient ones got split into the good and the evil half. I don't know. So there's there's Westchester and yeah, there's the poetry, a poetry by, by the sea. sea. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one is the good and which one's the evil. But they I think both it probably depends now. on who you ask. <laughs> right. That's really, it's really true. That's pretty much I haven't true. Been, but... Yeah. Last time I went to, I, to that was, you know, 10, 10 years ago. But that's more because I am old and boring and have kids than anything else. So so what, do, I mean, do you find that, you know, what we kind of do at Rattle is we put out stuff we like and then people tell each other and I don't even know how it works, but mm-hmm. we have an audience. Um, yeah. Do you find that works? That if you, you know, the the love of the the poetry and the discussion sort of carry itself along, or do you feel like you should be doing more to promote your own work? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel horrible every time I do something to promote because it's it's a it's a gross feeling. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I should. I mean, I'm I I think yeah, I'm I'm terrible at this. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what works. This is the true answer. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it has been like, it has been nice making a little bit of a community with some other 
poetry podcast and then some other you know writers and people affiliated with magazines through through the podcast more i mean that that's been that has connected me with people in the world more than certainly poetry ever has Mm -hmm. i think just writing good work is not even remotely enough yeah (laughs) even writing and publishing good work i just think it's well i mean that's true but i don't know what enough would be either you know no i I have no i have no idea mm mm-hmm yeah, like I was talking to uh, uh, Karan Kapoor and Shannon Mann, who have just the wonderful only poems uh, that they just started. But they kind of have... Only, only poems? Is that a magazine? Only poems, yeah. Yeah, it's like they have, I think, one poet a month, uh, or maybe one a week. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a wonder they do a little interview with it. It's just great. And the fact that it's great, I think people appreciate and are spreading it around. But, uh, but I know Shannon just opened a, a Facebook account for the first time ever. So, um, and she was asking if that was worthwhile and, you know, I mean, in a way it is like, but it takes such a long Mm -hmm. time and, and it's sort of less worthwhile all the time. So the things that you can Mm -hmm. kind of take advantage of to help poetry spread are diminishing too, because there's just this way, um, you know, everything is gamed and, and, you know, poetry doesn't win the algorithms very often. No, unless it... (laughs) <laughs> enrages people <laughs> well, there's that know, too. which it doesn't do probably <laughs> en- en- enough i i also like i i, I had a, a sleeve rickets twitter account for a little bit and what i found was that it it's not that you can go you can have a twitter account in order to support your podcast it's that if you are good at twitter and you like twitter and you want to spend a lot of time doing that and you cultivate something there then that as an existing part of your life can help out your podcast and vice versa but I, I didn't want to do it for its own sake enough. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think like it's an, it's a, I mean, it's a, in a way like it's a form of writing. I kind of respect like there's a, there is such a thing as like writing good tweets. Mm-hmm. It, it's its own thing. It's sort of like, like, you know, a lot of writers, you know, uh, I knew in grad school would say things like, like I could write a romance novel and like, that's true. You could, but you would have, you would have become a romance novel. It's like you, you could do it, but you can't do it without committing to making that then a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. Uh, well, I'm determined to get through all the poems because they're great. Let's do Requited Love next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, requited Love. Um, this was, I put in this one and then I put in the last one because my wife <laughs> says, like, make sure people know you have a happy <laughs> Uh Yeah, Requited Love. Here is the way they rose and bathed and fed in silence and in silence got undressed and microwaved the supper each thought best, and meant the words the TV actors said. Here is her naked hand outstretched in bed to soothe some restless memory's knocking chest, and here her present body, seldom pressed awake to his, and here his snoring head. Here are the things they thought they had to fear, the figure at the far end of a glance, neglected taxes, mice, the common cold, the lovely hair's retreat, the veins advance, the skulls a little clearer every year, shares held too long, the child they'd never hold. And that was requited love. Um, so, and this is from Midlife, uh, the new book just yeah. about to come out by uh, Matthew Buckley Smith. Um, so, so when you saw, you know, the, the poems, I kind of asked this before, but I want to get a, a better sense of how you put the collection together. Um, when you saw the poems um, and you were pulling out the best poems of the last nine or 12 years, however you want to count it, um, how did you know that they fit in the book? Or did you just, was it just like a sense of, poems which is something we don't do very often but but that you wanted poems because they're good but then how do you order them and and how do you make something that feels cohesive Uh, how did you put that together yeah i I just i mean how i put it together is i i took a swing at it and showed it to ryan uh and he said "Ah, it's missing something it feels a little relentless it's kind of depressing uh, and so I, I waited another few years and, and wrote some more poems and took some poems out and then showed it to him again. And uh, he said, yeah, this is the wrong order, though. So he gave me an order and I worked on it and I showed it to, you know, Jonathan Farmer and Alan Shapiro, a couple other people I trust. And basically, my goal is not to make a cohesive whole or to make an arc or a narrative. My goal is to put the poems in an order such that you can read them in that order and it won't fuck you up. 
Like it won't, mm-hmm. you won't think like, well, oh, that's a weird, like why, you know, my wife is terrible at making mixtapes. Like she'll always follow a really, a really sweet, like heartbreaking love ballad with like a real jangly jig. And you're like, oh, don't do that. So I'm just, I'm just trying not to uh, fuck up the vibe. <laughs> so keep a vibe going is the advice yeah yeah, uh, yeah that's a good way and you know just the order of it and i think you don't want to have a one monotone kind of feel you know or like a swooping arc that's all the same but sort of to yeah. have surprise to some delight within disorder that kind of thing makes yeah. for a good good collection yeah, you don't, you're going to need the tie should be a little crooked if your suit's really straight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's, uh, we're up on time. Let's wrap it up with the new poem. I, I love the the, yeah, yeah. the new one, Where the Wild Things Are, that you want to read. Sure thing. The, yeah. yeah. This is the one, this is the one my, my wife was like, oh, I like that one. <laughs> Instead of all your miserable wife poems. Uh, she's, she's quite lovely and thankfully has a good sense of humor. Uh, this is Where the Wild Things Are, on the off chance that my daughters are still awake and watching this. Uh, babies come from the stork. I love you very much. Uh, this is where the wild things are. In the book, our daughters love dark thickets spring up from the floor to claim young Max's room, supplanting every pale familiar thing with starlit branch and stamen stalk and bloom. So when you set the white noise app to play its loop of forest sounds on a summer night and shut the blinds and strip and shyly say you wouldn't mind if I turned out the light. I wonder if our girls upstairs might hear the savage noises coming from beneath and think again of Max's friends and fear once more, the terrible eyes and claws and teeth. And whether they'd be any less afraid to learn these were the woods where they were made. Yeah, it's a great poem, uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Uh, you see, it's uh, first published in Able Muse, which is a great press for formal poetry. If you'd like the style of yeah. poetry uh, Matthew's reading, Able Muse is a great place. I'm not sure if their message board is still active as much as it Eratosphere, used to be. It is, yeah, Ratosphere is still up. Uh, Alex is a great uh, yeah, great patron of formal poetry. And I should say, I don't, this is supposed to come out in your, <laughs> I don't know if it's come out yet, but... Thank you, thank you, Alex. He's a very, he's a very understanding. Yeah, yeah that's Alex yeah. Peppel, and, and it's really I should have him. He doesn't send poems in though. I, I wish tell him if you see him, tell him to send me some poems so we can have him on a round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, totally well. yeah. but but yeah, he's wonderful and does able muse and and they publish so many of the formalist poets that are really good and uh, and that message board. If anybody's interested in learning more, they at least when I used to go there, they would critique. You know, people would just critique and talk about the the meter and which feet are off and all that kind of stuff. And really hone people and get better and better at uh, at writing mm-hmm. through through the, the internet, which is a great thing too. And and Alex just does a great job with Evil Muse. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your poems and for and for the candid discussion. It's been a lot of fun, uh, Matthew. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, congratulations uh, yeah. on the new book. Thank you. Uh, and uh, it, yeah, I'm I'm just really impressed by this whole this whole thing you got going. And I've always been a fan of of Rattle and of your uh you as a man apart <laughs> well thanks i appreciate that so where can people find mm-hmm. slee rickets you just type in slee rickets uh at slee rickets slee will work that'll take you to my website uh but yeah you can also just look yeah matthew buckley smith my website has all the links for everything mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, uh, sounds good yeah, yeah. Come check it out yeah thanks for sharing and for the discussion it was a lot of a lot of fun right yep. have a good night take happy care, new year you you've been listening to our conversation with matthew buckley smith you can find more of his work including his new book midlife at matthewbuckleysmith.com and find his podcast at sleerrickets.com find the full interview plus our prompt lines and poets respond to open the show on youtube.com slash rattlepoetry next week's guest in the rattlecast is me miracle thornton miracle was one of the three winners of the 2023 rattle chapbook prize her chapbook plucked just came out along with a winner issue for all rattle subscribers it's an imaginative portrait of black girlhood one of the most abstract books i think we've published in the series we're looking forward to talking to her as a guest that'll be rattlecast number 227 monday january 8th at 8 p.m eastern hope you have a great weekend in the meantime and i'll talk to you later goodbye